Welcome to Entrepreneur Mindset Reset, the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to learn from fellow business owners how to decrease the chaos and increase their sense of fulfillment while becoming more profitable. I'm your host, Tracy Trepesky. I'm an executive coach and consultant and mindset mastery expert. I'm also mom to two amazing teenagers and a menagerie of adopted furry family members. In each episode, we explore challenges, opportunities, and actionable tips to help you move your business forward while staying true to your vision. You'll hear from me and my guests how we've tackled some of the pitfalls and unexpected surprises that entrepreneurship delivers. We're the real deal, and we're here to inspire and encourage you. Let's dive in. Kelly, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Well, thank you for having me. We met through LinkedIn. Yeah. Several months ago and had our first conversation a while back. And much like we were doing just now before we started recording, we talked forever about everything. <laughs> so I'm really excited to have this conversation and share your wisdom and share your journey with our listeners. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, yes. this is going to be fun. And I'm sure that we'll have a lot yeah. that we'll, we'll decide that we need to talk again. Where are you currently in the world? Where are you located? In Philadelphia. I was born okay. in Actually born and raised in Philadelphia, but spent 26 years in South Jersey, in a bunch okay. of different towns. And then when I got married in 2019, I moved back to Philadelphia. So moved back home. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Have you always worked for yourself? Have you always done your own thing? Or did you feel like you followed a course and then decided to start doing what you do? What's kind of funny is that, no, I didn't always follow my own course, but I've played around with business stuff for a while. Even as a kid, I was, this is pre, kind of pre-internet or pre-internet as we think of it. I was selling books, not online, but I actually ran an ad in a newspaper selling books for um, how to make money or whatever it is. I'm not even sure how I decided what I was going to sell, but I was just trying different things. I was my best friend and I, I had mentioned him to you earlier that my best friend from high school, he and I were selling water filters, filtration systems at one time and stuff like that. But no, I, most of the time I worked regular jobs, but always thought there was another way. I guess I sort of resisted the idea that it had to be done. I think that was always a challenge for me when someone says you have to do it this way. And I'm always curious as to whether or not that's an accurate depiction or if it really can be done. Another way for, so even after high school, I didn't go to a traditional four-year school, although in hindsight, if I did it again, I probably would, but for different reasons, but I always wanted to kind of do it a different way. But as I got older, I really got to the point where I knew there were things that I wanted to experience that were unlikely to happen in a traditional nine to five job situation, not just revenue or not just from an income perspective, but a freedom time freedom perspective, which probably came to me a lot from network marketing companies that I worked with, mm -hmm. because they're always selling you on the idea of making a lot of money, but also having time to enjoy it. And I definitely wanted the time to enjoy it part, you know, and I had done pretty well financially, but it wasn't so much independence. It was dependence. So it was like from regular nine to five jobs. We just had good job, what people would call good jobs. But after a while, I started to question that concept of what is a good job, depending on what it is you feel like you're sort of called to. Everyone doesn't consider it a calling, but with the thing that's in your heart that you, you know, as they say, you would do 
even if you weren't being paid for it. Mm-hmm. It's that type of thing or something that's annoying at you that you really want to go do and try or something like that. And you're afraid for whatever reason. I always tell people that voice is there for a reason. There was a speaker named Lewis Timberlake, and he said, God doesn't give us dreams to taunt us. Mm-hmm. And I've shared, I've quoted him saying that so many times when I've gone out and spoken at conferences and stuff, because I think it's good for people to remember that those dreams in our hearts didn't, didn't you typically don't get there on their own, right? We don't necessarily wake up and see something like as a kid, if we could have done that from the perspective of a sporting, maybe being an athlete, right? Like, Oh, I want to play in the NFL or I want to be in the NBA or something. But a lot of the other things that we have a heart to do to teach people and to empower people and, whatever, those types of things, they're usually there interwoven into who we are. So in wanting to help more people, then I could appreciate the business side as well. Because I wanted, even when I went into network marketing, I set up an opportunity for people to come see multiple network marketing companies in my house, because Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to have the pressure of, hey, go with this one or that one for whatever reasons they're selling you on. I wanted them to understand from an objective perspective, what might be best for them. Mm. So trying to help people has always been woven into who I am. So I think that became a part of me in this journey, if you will. Mm-hmm. And do you think that your experience with trying on lots of different things and working your way through network marketing really, because you said, you know, you really want to be helping people. I think it's really cool that you're like, hey, look, there's all these different things you can do. Do you feel like that experience led you to do what you do now? I mean, you're coaching businesses, you're sort of coaching people in their businesses and supporting them in building fulfilling career, right? Yes. Well, it definitely led directly that sort of down that lane. When I was previously married, uh, the church that we went to, some of the younger folks, younger being in their thirties, late twenties, <laughs> early thirties, but they would ask us about business because they knew we were we're doing well. We were doing some stuff in business, but some of it was just purely having higher paid jobs. But I was also, at one point, I became a realtor. My ex-wife was became a principal of a school here in Philadelphia as well. So we had a lot of things in place. We were doing real estate investing and we were working with Primerica. So we were teaching people about money, which was really important for us in a lot of ways because culturally, by culture, I mean, African-American community, a lot of what we had experienced as as being from that community is that it wasn't common conversations that we were having. We weren't having those conversations at the dinner table. Quite honestly, even the college conversations and stuff like that were beginning to be more common, but they weren't super common yet. So, Mm. but back to kind of down that road, when we were at this church, they saw what we were doing and a couple of times they asked me about doing some sort of class or teaching people. And I was comfortable with the idea at that point, getting in front of people. That wasn't a problem. I just wasn't sure what it was supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, like I hadn't done a class before or anything like that. I had taught a couple of lessons and stuff like that, but they weren't usually about that type of thing. So I told the lady that was asking me, I said, all right, we'll put something together. We picked a date and just got started. And I started teaching on like, what is a business? But I kind of went deeper right from the beginning because I, I wanted to go after the thing that we don't usually want to admit to ourselves, especially in the church community, is to talk about money without, you're going to be condemned for 
as if money in and of itself is bad. You may right. have heard that type of conversation as it pertains to churches, which is why I didn't want to do anything like that in the church, mm-hmm. because I figured some of the things that I would want to talk about, they were going to be resistant to because there isn't always an embracing of wealth creation from a church perspective. And I found that even when it comes to, you know, if I said, hey, I got this great new job and I'm making a lot of money and maybe we got a new house, a new car and all that kind of stuff, which is what we were doing, that was celebrated. Mm -hmm. But when you do it from a business perspective, when we were going after different things in business, we were accused of chasing filthy lucre as the term. And I was like, wow, this is really crazy. And I said, no, I'm doing what every man does. I Well, not every man, but what I feel every man should do is try to support your family. Mm-hmm. And we went, and not to get too deep in it, but we went from like a $2,600 mortgage a month to $5,700 a month mortgage. That was a colossal leap for us. And it was not, in, we didn't intend to stay there but the market, it was right around 2008 when the market tanked. So our house was built and we moved into it. We closed, we settled on it March 16th. I always remember because it's my mom's birthday. Mm-hmm. But we settled on it March 16th of 2008. And somewhere around, around that time, the market was tanking. Because mm-hmm. even the mortgage company that was doing our loan, we were doing a stated mortgage because we still owned our other house that we had built some four years before that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so it's a lot of challenges around that. But anyway, getting back to the people, when we uh, started the class, again, the house that we had at the time really set the tone. It's about 4,000 square feet, sitting on a little over an acre. So it was an impressive looking house. It wasn't like, but this shows you, I said, I was talking about culture earlier, but this was kind of a captures that idea of the culture is one time we had people coming to our house for something else. These young kids got out of the car, probably teenagers, and they said, oh, we know white people live here. And I was like, wow, mm. just just to, like they see I'm standing in the driveway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and still, just the concept is this is not a black person couldn't live here. And I was like, that's really, really sad yeah. that they didn't understand. They didn't really have an understanding of where you are, where you live has a lot to do with where your parents are and where their mindset, just a lot of things that come in into play there. There weren't many Black families in there. I think out of 42 homes, I think there were like four Black families. Anyway, so it gave people a different perspective of who we were, which didn't necessarily line up with who we were, but it gave us an opportunity, kind of gave us a platform to have influence in their lives. So when I started the class, we, like I said, we started talking about what is a business what are your financial goals? Like, what's your dream income? Like, just allow yourself to dream freely and say what that income level is. And that's the type of thing you don't really hear much in church because if your number's outside of the realm of normalcy, right? Like, we said 100 grand, it might be high for a lot of people, but it's not ridiculous yet, right? But if you start talking about seven figure incomes or even high sixes, People start looking at you sideways. They don't even know. They don't even know how to relate to what it is you're you're talking about anymore. And quite honestly, I think if a lot of people realize we were carrying not only the fifty seven hundred dollars, we were carrying the fifty seven hundred dollars mortgage with the twenty six hundred dollars mortgage together for a number of months to get until we sold that other house. 
But anyway, but yeah, that led me down that road. And I loved getting in front of the folks and just helping them grow, right? Watching them grow. Because you could see it on their faces. I'm like, I never thought about that. Oh, I never thought they just, you know, and it's one guy came up to me and said, how do you learn all of this? I said, just from reading books. Like I didn't read it. I legitimately didn't read a book. I mean, I read what I had to read, but I didn't read much on my own until I became an adult and started reading stuff about business. I was reading like Stephen King novels at first, but then I started reading business stuff because I wanted to understand that world. It was intriguing to me. You know, how's one person like we're born the same like me and my best friend, like we're, you know, about a year apart in age, but what would make one of us a billionaire and the other one still broke? Mm-hmm. And we've came from the same, very similar background or what have you. And that kind of frustrated me. So I always wanted to be able to, I want to unlock the door so that I can help other people unlock the same door. So it was really good that when we started really talking about business in that meeting, which we call impact, I-M-P-A-K-T innovative, motivated people applying knowledge today. So when we started doing that, it really helped open their minds to the possibilities as well as their misconceptions of what Mm -hmm. it meant to be in business. So yeah, that really led me down that road to teach people about business and whatever it is I could teach that would benefit another person. I was willing to at least try. I'll give you what I have. Well, it sounds to me like you were able to help a large group of people see things differently and open possibilities for themselves. It's not just churches that have weird money perceptions, right? I mean, I think Mm -hmm. it's, I think we're, we're conditioned really funny money stuff, right? And we Mm -hmm. all, I think I have yet to meet a person who has not at some point in their lives had weird money beliefs. So, and by weird, I mean, things that don't serve them and that don't serve Mm -hmm. their family and their communities. And so what you did was you provided this gift, like just break down the money piece and look at what you can do with it. I mean, people who have good intentions and who want to go do good things will go do good things. And money Mm -hmm. is one of the things that can open those doors. It's not the only, but it's one of them, right? So if we look at it from a different perspective, there's a lot that we can support people with. I, I mean, I do you know how many people you taught over the course of time, roughly? Actually, no, I don't. Um, but Probably hundreds. These people were, uh, yeah, they would just keep inviting other people. And this was in our house. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we rented a facility for it. Right. And I was just telling somebody the other day that when we got to the one year mark, we had like an anniversary celebration. Mm-hmm. We had vendors come in, vending tables. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, this is hilarious. It's like, and, we are now a resort. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, you know, I was growing also because the speaking thing was new to me. Mm-hmm. And and my ex-wife at the time, she pointed out, she said, do you realize you just created a situation and made yourself the, the speaker, mm-hmm. you know, ongoing? And I was like, Oh, no, I, I just never even thought about that. It definitely wasn't a focal point. Like I just, I mean, who else was going to do it? You know, like they came you just to showed me. up to serve, right? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. Yeah. yeah if somebody mm-hmm. else wanted to step up, teach alongside or whatever. And I did that too. I actually brought guest speakers to the house mm. to speak as well. And they were on topics that I could speak on. But one of the things I learned churches that I've been in is there's an affinity towards your pastor or preacher right? And I noticed like sometimes people would 
not lock in on a new preacher or a preacher that's visiting because it's not their preacher. They don't speak like our preacher does. So there's less focus on it. And my mom's church, which is interesting too, when their pastor went on vacation, which I think he did for like the month of July, that church would be like a skeleton crew in there. <laughs> it was crazy. Crew. I was like, really? Everybody left? <laughs> like, People um, can be very, very loyal. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they just disappear until he comes back. And I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's what he's trying to convey to you that come funny. when I'm here and not be here otherwise. But anyway, but that's kind of how it played out. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to try to get people used to hearing from multiple voices, multiple mentors, multiple leaders. So I brought different people in to teach different things like budgeting for their own finances, as well as forecasting from a business perspective, what it means to set goals. Some of them had never set a goal before. Mm-hmm. It's totally unfamiliar with the SMART goals concept. Mm-hmm. And we laid that out. We did so much in there, unpacked some of the beliefs, like you said, that we're not serving them well. So one lady, I always talking about her. She was a good friend. Well, her mother was a really good friend of mine. And then when her mom passed, she kind of became almost like a sister mm-hmm. to us. Matter of fact, her family wound up living in that house that I was talking about, the house that we had. Mm-hmm. She wound up living with us probably for like three or four years. But anyway, she had a a cleaning business and she was sharing a story in the front of the room and she started, she said, yeah, always charge near the bottom of whatever, the lower range for the service she provided. She was doing house cleaning. And I said, do you know why you do that? And she said, well, yeah, I try to um, try to make myself more appealing maybe Mm -hmm. to potential clients. That's not really where that's coming from. And I said, we could talk about this later because, you know, again, she was in front of the room. So she said, no, she said, no, it's fine. You can say it. You can say it out loud. I said, this is about you and how you view yourself. That's where we are. I said, your business is easy. Everybody understands a house cleaner. No one would call a house cleaner and expect them to show up for free. right? Right. And you just want them to clean your house well. There's no special care to detail, but there's nothing you need to do that you can't t- teach a 10-year-old how to do. Like, raise this up, wipe under, put it back down, you know, go back, whatever. <laughs> right. Like, you can walk through that. I said, so we all get that. So the only reason to lower your price is because you don't value your own time. Mm. She's like, mm. <laughs> That was like a gut punch, say, I'm Oh, sure. yeah, 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 it yeah. was. Yeah. And I've had I've had a number of those myself. Oh yeah. But <laughs> the aha moment <clears throat> or also known as the sucker punch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she's like, wow. She said, I never thought of that. And I said, Yeah. I said, a lot of times that's what we're doing. We're trying to position ourselves. I'm like, this concept that even if you're new that you need to be the lowest price guy on the on the market, it's an illusion. I was like, it doesn't make any sense. The work that you're doing is still a work that has value. So being the lowest person doesn't help. And I think that's when I first, I don't know, when it, was that my example or did I get it from someone else? But I said, if you were rushed into a hospital and you needed emergency surgery, you went to $100,000 surgeon or the $20,000 surgeon? They're like, oh, the 100000 Yeah, of course. Right. You don't want the cheap guy. Right. And I was like, why is that? Uh, then they're like, oh. Value yeah, yeah, value. exactly. The, the $20,000 surgeon could be brilliant and amazing, but it could we don't be. Know that. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. that's why I said 
Mercedes or take any of those upper level brands, Mercedes, Rolls Royce or whatever. I said, they all know that Ford makes cars. They know Chevy makes cars, but they don't make any apologies for the fact that you can't afford what they do. Right. Right. And I said, it's your perception that it's a better car, right? Those perceived value. And you see new car companies do that all the time. They come out and go right into the premium brand because they're going to position their product that way. So it has nothing to do with how long you've been around or anything like that. So it's how you view what it is you bring in to the table. Yeah. So, and I was like, that's what this is all about. You have to change your perspective before you can change your price. Cause I realized that's a problem too. If the person selling well themselves, their goods or what have you, if they don't embrace that pricing as valid for them, they're probably going to be choking on a number as they say it, whether it's a coaching program or whatever, they may have something, a program's $5,000, let's say. You're going to have a hard time asking somebody for $5,000 if you don't think you're worth it. Mm-hmm. You don't think what you've put together is worth $5,000. You're not going to do that. I had a client that was a web developer and she was doing websites for like $500. And I was like, yes. I said, 500. I was what? like, what? What do you? I was like, that doesn't, she was like, well, I was kind of new. And I was like, Mm -mm. it has nothing to do with that. You're still developing the website for them. You're doing the results. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah. Anyway, so we had to walk and she was a, became a client. So, you know, we had to walk through that and kind of reset her, Mm -hmm. her numbers, but people sometimes have a hard time with resetting their number because they can't relate to it. There's a book just happens to be next to me. I don't know if you ever read that Go For No. Oh, I haven't. Go For No. Okay. So there's a story in the book where the guy is selling, he's selling clothing and this guy comes in. He said he thought he was a salesman and he said he thought he was going to lose his job because the regional manager came in and he said, this man comes in, the first client comes in for the day and announces he needs to buy a new wardrobe. So he said, oh, this would be great. Since the manager's here, he'll see me do this good sale, et cetera, et cetera. So he does the sale. This is in, I think he said like 78. And he said, the guy spent $1,000 on clothes. And he was like feeling really good about himself. He said, the manager didn't come over and say anything to him for a while. And he said, when he finally came over, he said, it was a good sale, kid. And he said, oh, yeah, $1,100. He said, yeah, that's pretty good. He said, let me ask you a question. He said, sure. He said, what did the man say no to? Mm-hmm. He said, what do you mean? What did he say no to? He bought this. He bought that. He bought. Mm-hmm. He said, listen, he said, don't defend your anything. He said, I'm just asking you a question. What did he say no to? We can see what he said yes to by printing out the sales receipt. I'm asking you, what did he say no to? And he said, he thought about it. He said, well, he didn't say no to anything. He said, so how did you know the sale was done? Mm-hmm. And he said, then it hit him that he stopped the sale. He stopped the sale because it was outside of his comfort level. And Mm -hmm. I've told clients that before too, don't, you can't sell from your own pocket. If you do, it's, it puts you in a, it makes it very difficult for you to sell something that maybe you can't afford Mm -hmm. because quite honestly, you could sell a $5,000 program and you may not have five grand yourself. Mm -hmm. may not have a credit card for five grand. Right. doesn't mean the value is not there, but your ability to get over that number might be a bit of a challenge, Mm -hmm. right? So, and I said, you have to work through some of those things before you can sell a program like that. So that's one of the things when I'm talking to a client now, I'll talk to them about the pricing, 
see where they are with the idea of getting to premium level pricing. Because if they're choked up about it, now we got to deal with that mm-hmm. before we can move them forward. Because their program might not be premium level. It doesn't mean they can't get to premium level. They may have premium level under their umbrella of products. They just may need to put them together to make it a two, three, four thousand dollar program or what have you. But some people resist the idea of premium because they're like, oh no, people are not going to be able to afford it. And I said, but the reality is if it's $50, somebody can't afford it. Right. So whether it's 50 or 50,000, you're going to have some, some that can and some that can't. So you're going to have to make a decision where you're going to be in the marketplace. Again, back to the Mercedes example, they've already positioned themselves. Whether or not you can afford it is up to you. That's your side. Absolutely. But if you can't do it, there's a bunch of other car companies that are willing to sell you, you know, their products. Yeah. You make such a good point too, that you're, it's not even up to me or you or your clients to decide who can and can't afford them. Because Mm -hmm. I have had clients over the years who've come to me and have gone and figured out how to pay for it because Mm -hmm. they really wanted to do the work. And I never try to talk somebody into or help them solve their money issues. I'm always like, well, if that were handled, what could be possible? And so mm-hmm. then it's just a matter of, well, you know, never rush the sale. I never rush the sale, right? So it's a matter of them deciding to figure it out. I mean, I had somebody mm-hmm. who went away for like a year and came back and said, I'm sorry it took mm-hmm. me so long, but I needed to save my money. And I was like, hey, I would rather work with you when you're ready to give me a definitive yes than Mm -hmm. get scared and drop out, right? I want you to have success and that's the bottom line. And it's not up for me. It's totally not up to me to decide who can and can't afford it. So you just, I think, you know, you're saying decide who you want to work with. Those people will come to you and they'll figure it out. They do. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but they're, Tony Robbins has, Netflix had a program on Tony Robbins. I don't even know if they still have it, but it's called, I am not your guru. I never saw it. So it's $5,000 to go to this event. Mm -hmm. And they were saying how people will sell their car, their Mm -hmm. furniture out of their home, all this kind of stuff to go to this event. And when you listen to that, like first it was like, wow, that's crazy. But they realize it's not that it's crazy. It's just, they get it. They get that what they want was worth doing this. Because I can always go buy another car. Mm -hmm. I can buy another couch. None of those things are going to be absent from the earth because I sold mine and there's no more out there. That's right. not going to be the case. <laughs> right. And I had a, a situation where I was being, I had like a discovery call with a coach and her particular program, she won't even, she won't let you buy the first day. It's a Christian program, but she won't let you buy the first day. The guy that I was talking to happened to be a pastor, but he was, you know, the coach that I was talking to. He said, yeah, they won't let you buy the same day. It's important to her that you go pray about it. And then you come back and decide whether or not you feel like the Lord wants you to move forward. Mm -hmm. And he said, what I need you to do, though, is go think about it without worrying about the money. Try to take your mind completely off the money. Don't make a monetary decision. So he said, because what happens is when people, they can't get over the number. So all they're doing during the 24 or 48 hours is trying to figure out how to pay for something. He mm-hmm. said, I don't want you to think about how to pay for anything. He said, if you believe in God and that you have a relationship with God, you have to believe that God is not tied to those that level of resources. Like mm-hmm. God is not 
six thousand dollars in this pro that case the program was six thousand dollars no payment options you had to show up with six grand and before you get started i was like all right cool so i prayed about it and i felt like the lord wanted me to move forward i got back on the phone with the guy he said all right so he said let me give you some insight and he took me to some scriptures in the bible about god providing for you mm. right i was like all right he said so he said, I'm just going to tell you some experiences that some people have had. They may benefit you. They may not. He said, but I want you to know that if God said that he wanted you to do it, he's got you. He's got you covered. So he went through some of that. And then we kind of got off the phone. And I'm like, like, now what? I'm waiting for the cash register sound. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cha-ching. I love that though. But um, what I did was I started calling people made the second phone call and I had $6,000. I had no idea I could do that. I didn't know I could make two phone calls and raise $6,000. I had mm -hmm. no idea. And the person who was giving me the money, it's a relative, but she said, I've never spent $6,000 on anything. She said, so I have no idea. She hadn't even said yes yet. I only think she realized that. She didn't say yes. She was like, yeah, I don't even know why I'm going to do this. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and and she gave me the six grand. She loaned it to me, but I mean, she gave me terms, you know, mm -hmm. to pay it and stuff. So I was like, I didn't care how it came. I didn't mind paying for it. I just didn't have six grand at one time. So you're right. It is sometimes we as coaches, we miss out on the opportunity to coach them through mm -hmm. an opportunity of growth. Yep. And that's exactly what that is. And Tony Robbins talks about it a lot. He's like, it's not the resources. He said, it's a lack of resourcefulness mm. that gets us stuck. He's like, the resources are always there. There's no lack of money on the earth. And right. I've shared when I had that group in the house, I said that to them. I was like, money is not running from you. Mm -hmm. Money's not hiding from you. It's nothing personal. It doesn't care about your skin color. None of that is significant. All it knows is when you move the right way, it's coming your way. When you don't move the right way, it's not. That's yeah. kind of how that works. So, you know, so I try to encourage people, but that stuff that we, you know, we talk about, but the things that don't serve us well, they're deep seated. Mm -hmm. You know, those things are down in the, in the roots yeah. of, you know, who we are. And I remember when I was going to get a new car, I was 18. I put it in my mom's name because of the insurance, because it was a, it was a fast car. <laughs> and in Philadelphia, that would have been, I would have gotten slaughtered on insurance alone. So anyway, so we got it in my mom's car. I mean, my mom's name, but I had this, the sales booklet and I'm looking at it and my grandmother looked at it. She said, what's that? I said, oh, it's a new car sales brochure. She said, oh, you go get a new car? I said, yeah. And she laughed at me. I was like, yo, that was that's not a grandma move. You're not supposed to be laughing at me. <laughs> Unless I'm laugh laughing first. Yeah. You're supposed to say, I'm proud of you or something. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I got the car, so it's like, yeah, keep laughing, grandma, because yeah. you're going to be laughing at other stuff down the road. Um, <laughs> yeah, cute. so it's just interesting how there's so much of our mindset that's twisted, mm. but we don't, we don't realize it. So we get into situations where, we're trying stuff and like, oh, it doesn't work. Well, we're not working yet. Mm -hmm. We don't, we mm -hmm. don't have this right yet to work to, right. you know, to put in, you know, that type of work. You have to get that mindset right before you're even eligible to see results like that, mm -hmm. because you're just not, you're going to resist your own efforts because. Absolutely. What, I forget, and, yeah. and we, it's not, you know, we have this phrase, 
that people use, I'll believe it when I see it. We've got it totally backwards. Yeah, it sure is. Exactly. We see it when we believe it. When we, when we believe, believe it. it, it's real. And when it's real, our subconscious mind can bypass our ego and go make it be real. Exactly. So you're, you know, when you're, I, I do an exercise with clients where I take them out to the future and we look back and they tell me in present tense what they've done. Oh, I, nice. oh, I'm here and I've got, you know, I was just making this up, you know, oh, now I have this business and it's, you know, I franchised it and I'm doing this and, oh, and I bought an investment properties and it's really cool because of blah, blah, blah. And now we're here and we're doing this because all that stuff in the middle that we think will stop us. If we go forward, it's handled. We're looking back. We've already taken care of it. So, that, so now we have solutions and our subconscious mind is like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you mean that we're already here? And it starts finding solutions, right? And it's just, it all does. it is, is focusing our mind. We're focusing mm-hmm. our mind on the possibilities instead of the problems, air quotes here, as if you could see them, you know, like whatever we put our focus on is what will grow. Exactly. So we might as well go to what's possible and grow that possibility because then the problems just seem like nothing. They're just little bumps. It, it's true. And I've done a couple of presentations on the imagination. I have one on YouTube. Actually, I'll send it to you just so you can see it. Yeah, I'd love to see it. But one thing about the imagination that I found was that there's times in the Bible where God's telling people to use their imagination. And I was like, I was reading one. I was like, oh my God, I've never, never noticed that was a point of an imagination that he was using. And I was like, but it jumped off the pages into my (laughs) face when, I don't know, there's a story about the walls of Jericho. Guy has the children of Israel walk around the, the walls of Israel once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they do it seven times. Then they blow a horn. And he says, the walls are going to come down. Mm. But in the beginning of the scripture, he says, he's talking to Joshua. He says, see, I have already given you the walls of Jericho. Mm. Well, he obviously couldn't see it because it physically, it had not happened yet. So he's telling him to see it here. Mm-hmm. see that this is already a done deal and i was like yo he's telling you to use your imagination and we just totally i've never heard anybody speak on that as being a point of an imagination i was like of using your imagination and how powerful that is and i was like that god would tell him to use it that way and then even when you speak on imagination i think a lot of times people forget that it's not just fanciful stuff like mm-hmm. hey i'm gonna have a bentley one day it could be fanciful conversation if you have no no intention on actually driving it. But I, I told my wife, there was a time where I could see a car that I wanted so much that I could smell the leather from the car. Oh, wow. So you really got like, into that. Yeah, yeah. Space. I was like, yo, that's <laughs> crazy. That was the first time I'd ever experienced that. But, you know, we had a pastor before. He told people, he said, go. Well, he actually used us as an example. He said, you know, if you know the Marianos, go to there, ask them about their house. Or if you're friends with them, maybe you could go buy their house and see what your dream house may look like. He said, maybe your dream house is bigger, but he said, maybe it's not that big. He said, but see what it's like. Find out what it's like to, what does that even cost or mm-hmm. anything like that? And sometimes that's the thing that scares people is the numbers because yeah. the numbers don't, they don't make sense for the way we view ourselves. But when you view yourself as kind of in alignment with God, then start realizing the numbers aren't really as significant as we make them to be. They're significant I, to the bankers and the people you got to give the money to, 
but getting money is, isn't necessarily your biggest challenge. It's right. getting your mind around the mm -hmm. idea of having that much money is the bigger challenge. So and we just assign meaning to stuff all the time. We do. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something that's a, a trick that we play on ourselves and it's our ego. Right. So, okay. So like we were talking about messages that we received as kids and they weren't necessarily delivered to us. It's what we assigned to whatever happened, you know? So for example, being told, I don't know, whatever, don't be too loud. I got that one quite a lot. <laughs> don't be too loud. You know, don't be aggressive. It's not, it's not attractive. And what I learned was, well, when I'm excited or when I'm really like expressing myself, that means that I'm not attractive. And so therefore I'm going to be very reserved with who I am. Mm -hmm. And when I examined that as an adult, I was like, that's not what they were saying to me. They were probably, yeah. I probably was being really loud in that moment. <laughs> they just wanted me to be quiet, you know, but I assigned meaning to that, right? So as, as we kind of look back on our lives and decide what does and doesn't apply with the messages we've received, we can change things. So we mm -hmm. can change our mind, we can change our lives. So this, this idea that, that money has to be the big hangup, it's just an illusion. We've given some meaning to something that doesn't really, doesn't really mean anything. I mean, it can mean anything, but it doesn't really mean anything. You have yeah. enough money to buy or build a 4,000 square foot house, or you have enough money to buy or build a 400 square foot tiny house. And that's your dream home. Cool. Do it. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't, there's, there's no meaning in there. It's just there. <laughs> yeah. so, and that's, that can get a little maybe esoteric, but you know, we just, if we just remember that it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And obviously, also, you know, if you're going to the bank and you want to borrow money and you don't have the income or the cash or whatever, that's different. <laughs> it gets but, a little, yeah, it gets a little more, a little more challenging there. Yeah. Cause they're not going to walk in faith with you. <laughs> no, can you imagine? You have to be really convincing. Yeah. Let me tell you why I need this large home and why I want you to pay for it, even though I'm currently unemployed and have no down payment. Like, <laughs> yeah. go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I want you guys to have faith with me. Yes. Can, can let's you see just, this house? Can you see it? I can see it in my mind's eye, right? I mean, obviously within reason, but I think, you know, you've done this great thing with these people that you've taught and, and you're saying, you know, with your clients as well, that you're helping them get past their own stuff. That's like, you know, blocking them from achieving what they really want to achieve in life. Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's remarkable. Yeah, that's the challenge is to help people see. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Zig Ziglar, he talks about this and I was just listening to, he's kind of my one of my mentors for this year. But in uh, his video, he was saying that, he talked about one time when he was getting new glasses and he said he realized that's what he was put here to do is help people get fitted with a new set of glasses so that they could see something they didn't, they never saw before. And it's usually, you know, in themselves. And that's one of the things I feel like I do is I try to help people see that it is possible. It is, it's not only possible, but it's really, I think as they put it in the strangest secret, not the secret that everybody was crazy about a number of years ago, but the strangest secret by um, Earl Nightingale. You can grab that on YouTube. But he says, it's not just possible, but he says no way for it not to happen. Once you've put your faith in the idea that this is what I'm going after, he was like, nothing can stand between you and your made up mind to get mm. something done. And it was like, but we just don't, it's a shame, like stuff that, that has been fed to us or that we've been taught that doesn't serve us, we give that more validity than even the things that we've seen ourselves accomplish. So we may have already overcome some things, but you got to be reminded of it. Like, 
no, you did do this. Remember, you did that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are the types of things that we need to be reminded of so that we can move forward. But it, I think, you know, when they say, what's the thing you would do if you knew you couldn't fail? I think if people could just look at it that way, like there's no failure. It's mm-hmm. just it's just a timing issue. Like, and it's learning. I don't know if you're going to do it this year, next year, or five years from now. It's insignificant. But what are you willing to have happen in your life? I'm going to share this quick story, but I was in the mastermind just about a year and a half ago. And in the mastermind, towards the end of it, they said, what do you want your income to be five years from now? So the guy before me, the response before me, he says $96 million. And I was like, why 96? Why not 90, 95 even? But 96 or 100. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, go but, for it, man. <laughs> but he had a he had a calculated thing that the business that he had, he wanted to put it in all 50 states. And that was the calculated amount that he felt like it would generate. So I was like, oh, okay. So anyway, when they asked me, I said, you know, five million, five million dollars a year. So the guy talking to me, facilitating that day, he said, let me ask you something. He said, are there any coaches out there that make a million dollars a year? Oh, I was like, of course. Yeah. And um, he said, any of them make $5 million a year? I said, yeah, definitely. He said, okay, so let me ask you this question. Why is it going to take you five years to do it? He mm. said, why don't you commit to it for next year? Girl, <laughs> Did I, you want to throw up? That was, yeah, <laughs> that was my punch in the gut. I was like, mm-hmm. Like I literally went, because mm. <laughs> there's no, I could give an answer that most people would probably give. And I'm not saying I'm like somehow beyond that, but I knew whatever answer I gave that didn't agree with the fact that it could be done was BS, mm-hmm. right? Like it just wasn't, it wasn't going to be truthful in reality. It could be my reality, but it's not truthful that like it can't be done. I can't tell this man that it, I can't go make, Five million in a year. Obviously, it could be, if it could be done five years from now, it could be done this it could year. Be done today, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, may man. have to hurry and get some systems in place, but it can be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's funny because we did we did a mastermind that we just quasi finished up, and I say quasi because we're still doing an accountability component. Have you read that? You squared? No, I haven't. Yeah, I you definitely want to check that. Out. It's very short. I mean, you can probably read it in less than an hour. But one of the things they talk about in there is not pursuing incremental increases, only exponential increases. We were talking about math earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So they're just talking about everything, looking at it from an exponential standpoint. So, you know, this Price Pritchard is the author of this one. But I heard, I can't think of his name now. But one of the guys that started PayPal was talking about the same thing. I don't know if you read this guy's book or they just had like thoughts, but he was saying they don't even do anything that makes millions of dollars. They said, if we can't touch a billion people, what's the point? And I was like, wow, oh. like we don't, who thinks like that? And so I was saying <laughs> they that. Do. Exactly. <laughs> so I said that to the group when we were doing the mastermind, I said, we're reading through you square and thinking grow rich simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. So I said, we need to think, challenge ourselves to think differently. Stop thinking incremental increases. So we had a guy in the group, young guy, 27, and he, 
some things he was trying to do. He was trying to come up with, I think it was like six to eight thousand or eight to ten thousand, something like that, by February or March. So we kind of put him in the hot seat, you know, for that. And we were talking about that. Everything that people were giving him were like, they, we might as well have said, go get a second job at McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I said, we're not really helping. I said, and somebody even said, well, I was just making sure we're realistic. And I'm like, that's mm. the whole point. What does Stop being realistic. Even mean? Why, do you, right. why do you have to be realistic? And what, and what does it even mean? Because yeah. we've limited, because realistic is the whole, everything that's available to us. Mm-hmm. But then we shrink the world down to this size and say, this is what's realistic and totally ignore everything that's out beyond that scope. And I said, we, <laughs> I said, we really, I was telling my wife, I said, we really did him a disservice. I said, the whole idea, and that's why I kept hammering it. I said, we're going to put him in the hot seat next week, but these are the things that we need to talk about. We need to be trying to help this young man see that $8,000 in three months is not that big of a deal. No, it's just money. I mean, so, yeah. people lose more than that in five seconds on the stock I know, market. I know? know. Yeah, yeah. I used to follow um, Bill Gates way back when he was rich. No, I'm just yeah, right. But when, he, but when he was, <laughs> and he's just know, a you know popper now. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's like number four now. I think. Oh, yeah. I think he's down to four. I don't know how he's even surviving. How he's feeding I know, his kids? He's barely making it. Yeah, but you know they had the Bill Gates wealth clock mm. that you can follow online, and. I remember I wrote down the number one day because I was going to be speaking at a at a school the next day. And then I looked the next morning before I, I left because I just wanted to see what the fluctuation was like overnight. And I was like, is that right? You know what I mean? Like he had lost so much money overnight. Like what for most of most us, that would have been- make in their whole Yeah, lives. that was yeah. your entire, like if you hit the lottery for 50 million, <laughs> you should be able to be good for quite a while. Like you should be, right. be fine. Yeah. yeah. But- you know, to lose that overnight, I was like, Oof. man, I guess he had to get to the point where, like, he has so much money, he just kind of, you just let that go. Like, mm-hmm. don't even look at the stock market for any everyday fluctuation, because it would drive you crazy. You know, the idea, like, yo, I could have gave that 50 million away mm-hmm. last night and would have been better off. I would rather have handed it to somebody than to lose it in speculation in in the market. But Insane. Um, <laughs> so I like doing that when I was talking to the kids because you get a chance to raise their lid because from a kid mm-hmm. perspective, athletes make all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. It's like, but when you look at the top, the wealthiest people, I mean, at the very top, they're not athletes. It's the nerds. They're not performers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I should put tape right here. Just yeah, to, right? <laughs> put myself <laughs> just in to that group. feel like being yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's true. You don't really think and even when they got started, it's not like somebody said, hey, go do this and you'll make $100 billion in your life. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, really? I'll go down this road. Right. But they went after the thing that resonated with them, you know, yep. whether it's Michael Dell or any of those that became billionaires. And even one billion, even if you're a pauper on the billionaire p- pile, you doing our, <laughs> you're doing your all life right. has been pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel after you've crossed over a couple hundred million, you're really, you should yeah, be in you're, the clear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you re- you really are. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love I love how you're you know you're teaching people 
about what's possible, right? To really explore the possibilities. I mean, you said a couple of things that kind of exploded my head. And I feel like I live in the land of possibility to the point where I'm, you know, sometimes accused of being Pollyanna. And I'm like, oh, it's, anything's possible 100% of the time. <laughs> like, you just got to believe it, right? If you have any doubt, it'll show up, you know, and, and we'll notice that in our lives. But you're teaching people, you know, I love that you said raise their lid with the kids. It's like, you're teaching them to see that they could do anything. And, and you make a good point and saying like, if you start with the money and this is, this also has come up in a lot of the interviews that I've done for this podcast, which is if you start with the money, you're sunk because mm -hmm. it's not about the money. The money is a byproduct. It's a result and it's lovely and it's wonderful. And, and we should all strive to create wealth and abundance so that we can live well and pay it forward and support people and do all the things that we want to go do in the world. And most people want to do good things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is a good thing, but if you start with, okay, I'm going to make $500,000 my first year in business and you don't have a business plan yet, I, I wish you great luck. And I would love for you to come back and talk to me in a year and see how you did. But if you say, I'm going to go do these things because I love it and I'm going to place a value on it. Yeah. We talk about exponential growth, but you know, there's incremental steps to take in which to build something, mm -hmm. right? So you got to get that foundation set and then you can blow the lid off of it, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. Really, really cool. And I bet your clients appreciate working with you so much because you're helping them see a completely different possibility, like in a whole different realm. Yeah. That's what I, one of the things I love about the most is when people have, when the light turns on for them mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, now Isn't I got that the it. best? Yeah, <laughs> And is, you're like, I is. told you. No, <laughs> we don't and know. It, actually say, actually I told go... you so to our clients. <laughs> it's yeah. just playing inside. <laughs> and it actually, you know, they get the result. Their yeah. stuff starts happening. They're like, now I see what you're talking about. I didn't, yeah. they didn't get it because they don't realize what they don't know, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of times entrepreneurs, like I was telling this young lady I'm working with now, I said, I was telling her that I had a call with a guy and he said, yeah, I've tried everything. And I'm like, mm -mm. no, no, you didn't. Like, I just looked at your LinkedIn profile. I knew you didn't try everything. <laughs> like, I, it only takes me a minute. Something's missing. That. Yeah, that, that's all. Yeah. all. Yeah. But they think mm -hmm. the fact that you can make a statement, I've tried everything, but that's not your world. Right. And that's, that's one of the problems, too, as entrepreneurs. You get the impression, like, oh, I got to do everything. And some of it is reality, but you may run into the point where you just really need somebody to teach you. Yep how to do it on your own. Yeah. And so doing it on your own doesn't mean you have to figure it out. It might mean you pay somebody to show you how to get to do it. You yes. Know? We're not but experts in everything. We just simply are not. And, nor do we and, really want to be. No, I don't, I don't think don't. we that's, want to be. No. That sounds really stressful. <laughs> but you know, the other thing is, so let's say somebody is just starting a business and they don't know how they can afford to pay for coaching. Find someone and ask them to mentor you, borrow the money if you need to, like, obviously don't put yourself in a position where you could end up homeless. That's, that's probably wouldn't be worth it. But mm -hmm. I have worked with a couple of mentees over the years. And what's really struck me is they were both people who initially came to me to ask about coaching and my pricing was set at a point that they couldn't afford mm -hmm. yet. And two of the people that I've mentored were really brave and said directly, I don't make the kind of money. I live in a country where the exchange rate is not in my favor. And so I don't make the kind of money or have the kinds of revenues that could support me in paying you. However, I love how you do your work. 
if I promise to do the work and I know that you're not going to give me your entire coaching program for free, would you be willing to mentor me? And I'm like, you betcha. Because yeah. that took, a, that was a risk that they took. Like that was more than borrowing money from their grandmother to pay for coaching. They put themselves in front of me and said, will you support me? And they came to me and said, I'll do the work. I promise I'll do the work. And it worked out so well. And they're amazing people. They've accomplished great things. And I'm still in relationship with them. I'm only of the two that I was talking about. I'm only mentoring the one, but I'm still in touch with the other. And she's mm-hmm. in a PhD program doing great things now. And, you know, it's, it's just like, be brave, go out and ask. You are not, we're not supposed to do things alone. Even if you're an introvert, you're still going to need people. You're going to need that support. You're going to need a sounding board. Don't just surround yourself with people who love you and who are just going to say, yes, (laughs) you want to know if like your marketing copy sucks, or if your LinkedIn profile isn't effective, you need to know that. And you need people to share that wisdom with you. So if it's, there are lots of free resources and there are lots of people who are willing to help you just have to ask. I think that's really important for our listeners to hear that, that, you know, don't get stuck in the money. If you can go and you create it, great. But if you want help right this second, because there's something you know you're not seeing, ask. Mm -hmm. Because there will be people who care enough to support you that way. Yeah, and some people will do sort of like what you did, or they'll do, you know, I don't really do any hourly stuff, but sometimes people will start going down that road because they're just trying to find a way to make, it fit. And sometimes yeah. you just, that's what you need. You just need someone to give me a payment option or something mm-hmm. that, other than to hand you 10,000 or 6,000, whatever the number is. Right. The number doesn't even matter because at that moment, if it's a challenge for your client, then it's still a challenge, yeah. right? They still got to work through whatever that is for them. So yeah, interesting when someone's, and I really applaud the idea that they were able to expose themselves and be that transparent because- yeah. A lot of people don't want to say, eh, no, I can't afford that. Yeah. Like if the number's big, people maybe don't feel the same way about it. But if it's an amount they feel they should have, mm-hmm. then it feels different to them to mm-hmm. say, hey, yeah, I can't. No, I can't. I can't afford $500 for mm-hmm. down payment or to start this. Or I can't sign up for this membership for this webinar software because I don't have the money for that. You right. know? Yeah, it's. I try to be sensitive to those types of things, especially if they expose some of their financial challenges to me. I try to be sensitive to where we're headed mm-hmm. down the road. It's like, let's try to go down a road that's not going to stress you out financially. If we can get into something that's going to give you a 30-day free trial, I'd rather do that to get you started because yeah. we at least have a shot at getting your, your clients. I mean, unless you're like brand, brand new. But right. like if you're whatever you existed, you've helped somebody in your life. The likelihood is we can get you at least in front of people to have attempted a close yep. by that time, but you try to get them in situations where the money's not going to be the thing that they think about every night right. when they go to bed. Like, I do oh, think, how am I going to pay this or that? Yeah. I really want people to put some skin in the game. So if it's not actual dollars, it's a time commitment it's setting a goal and you know making a a promise and a commitment to taking every single step possible to get to it like with the mentors that i mentioned or the mentees that i mentioned the skin in the game for them was exposing themselves as not being in a financial position to do it but still but already coming up with their own solution and and offering it to me and i was like I admire your tenacity and I admire your courage and your bravery mm-hmm. and just the guts that it took 
and the determination to just say, I want this and I want it, you know, I'll do anything I can. Right. And I made some adjustments to my pricing during this pandemic that some people, you know, are not in a great position, but they really want to do the work and they were a great fit. And the way I structured it, I do it with solo entrepreneurs, um, not necessarily with people who have multi-million dollar businesses, because I know that they can afford me. They'll figure out how. But for solo entrepreneurs, you know, sometimes they are cash poor. Mm-hmm. And so like I'll have the conversation and say, you know, here's my regular once they get to the point and they ask me about the program, here's the regular pricing. And I let them sit with it. And if they say, well, I really can't afford that, then I say, so what I'm offering right now, and it's not like limited time you have to decide today. It's just, I'm going to do this for a limited time. I'd, I'll, I'll stop doing it when I feel like it's time to stop doing it. It's a pay what you can. And so I don't want you to say anything to me today. I want you to go and think about it for a week. Mm-hmm. We make an appointment for a week later and I want you to come back. You don't have to pitch me. You don't have to explain it. I don't want to hear your story about your finances. You do not have to justify anything. Come back to me with a number that makes you sweat a little bit, maybe woke you up a couple of times over the last week and we'll work with that. Mm -hmm. And it's been amazing. I've gotten, you know, a handful of new clients who are just going gangbusters. And then they've come back to me and said, I want to increase what I'm paying you because I'm making more money now. Like, if you feel led to do that, you know how to send it to me. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Thank you. I'm not requiring that. Ching, ching. Right. We have an agreement. The agreement, you signed it. So if you want to send me extra, just find me, but I'm not asking for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful Mm -hmm. because they're even more committed and they're, you know, it's not just because they're thankful to me. They're thankful for the opportunity to actually do it. Mm -hmm. And they're some of my best clients. (laughs) So, Yeah, 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 we find a way to, it's all about value, right? It really comes back to value in the story of like going back to the woman who cleans houses. If I went in to a conversation and was like, well, I don't know if they can afford it. And I've decided for them that they can't afford it. And now I'm going to be more attractive to them because I'm lowering my prices. And like, I'm coming in with weird energy and they're Mm -hmm. not going to perceive that I'm confident in my abilities. So it's a, it's a really different way. I think it's great what you're doing, teaching people how to find their value and create that value and go out and ask for it. I once saw a webinar with a woman who I just thought it was, she was amazing. And she was like, It was in the context of a job interview, but I think this can work for anybody. She said, I want you to ask for as much money as you can without bursting out laughing. (laughs) Wow. And especially for women, Uh, right? Because we have been conditioned a certain way. And so we often go out and socialized of undervaluing ourselves. So it was especially for women, but I think entrepreneurs where we hang our hat on what we do and we are our product or we are the face of our product and our services, that this is something to really think about set the price point at the place that's on the absolute outside edge of what you can ask for without laughing or vomiting. Wow. <laughs> and it's, you yeah, might have that kind of, isn't that profound? Mm-hmm. Like that yeah, really struck me for, in particular for group programmings, right? For like masterminds that I run, like those can be really high value, you know? So why not? People will pay for it. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic because mm-hmm. the first, and the masterminds are not my, I don't think it's my thing, or maybe I don't fully, I'm not sure that I do them very well yet. So they're good. They're beneficial, but I'm not sure if it's really capturing all that we're supposed to. So I was kind of playing around with it. So the first one we did, we just did it for free and it was long. It was, well, it wasn't that long. It was like six months. The last one we did was just, we just did it to finish up the year because I wanted to help some folks that were kind of close 
they weren't all that close to me, but some are closer than others, obviously. But I wanted to go after the mindset where I knew at the end of 2020, people were going to be trashing the year. Mm-hmm. You know, you see it in memes and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And I was like, that's not how you want to go forward. Mm-mm. You don't want to go. And I said, especially, so we did November and December. So yeah, the idea was to have eight weeks, but then my mom passed. So we pushed the last week into January mm-hmm. first. But I said, you don't want to go forward. You know, here we are. In, well, when I started talking to people about it, it was maybe late October. I said, you don't want to look forward already trashing the next two months. Because mm-hmm. you're like, what are you doing? I said, you want to go forward positively running into the next opportunity. And that's all it is, you know, it's about mindset again, right? Like, where's your mind? Where are you going? If you see yourself going into good things, you can dance your way right out of 2020 into 21. But if you see, if you're convinced that 2020 is the thing that was here to destroy you, then you're just trying (laughs) to survive it. And I was like, that's the wrong mindset. We're not here, you know, to me, especially like for Christians, I was like, I was like, your Bible clearly says you're, you were made more than more than an overcomer, right? Mm-hmm. More than a conqueror. So if you're more than a conqueror, that to me doesn't sound like you're in, supposed to be in survival mode. So get out of survival mode and start walking. Walk this thing out. Because mm-hmm. no, no one is stopping you. You know, most of the people when they, oh, I had this idea to do this or that. No one stopped you. No one. Like right. no one, no one can physically stop you from doing what you need to do. It's all about your, your mindset. And that, that's the thing we don't, Somebody, they should really be teaching that in, in school level, mm-hmm. like raising us up with an understanding of resetting your mindset. Yeah. Because one, a friend of mine, that this girl I used to work with, but she used to come to my impact and she was also in my Primerica group at one point, but you know, we wound up working at the same company and we started doing some stuff with encouraging one another with videos and stuff. So she said, you know, I'm realizing we need to encourage ourselves all the time. Mm-hmm. She was like, you don't, it's not like you do it. And then you get to some point where you're full and you're done. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, because I was like, the, you figure whatever you're doing now, you probably spent the first 30, 20, 30 years of your life, accepting whatever foolishness people sent your way. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you didn't know to resist it or to reject it. You know, sometimes we may reject it outwardly, but inside, we're really accepting of what someone said about us. Fortunately, in growing up, I mean, with all that we've done dealt with in America in general, I never grew up with a perspective that being a person of color was a deficit. I never thought that was, never, ever thought that was a deficit. Like my height, I've had people, you know, put that on me. I guess it's kind of funny to be less than, but, you know, to look at me less than because of that, I've dealt with that, I feel like, all my life. I've dealt with a lot of racism, but it never made me feel less than always perceived them as being confused Mm. about who I am. Like you're, you got this twisted, Mm -hmm. you know, you follow me around the store and I'm the, I'm the least likely to steal something from like, I'm going to be black all the way until I get home. Like if I steal something, nothing's changed. So I'm not, I can't be in an all, I mean, I could be right. Yeah. Realistically, you're not going to be in an all white neighborhood as a black man taking something. And then I got to make my way home by bus. Like I'd be picked up before the bus got there in mm-hmm. all likelihood. So I was like, that doesn't even make any sense. I'm not the one you need to be following up and down the aisles. Like I remember this when I was, it actually was not far from where I live now. When I was a kid, I could not have lived here. 
where I am physically. Mm. This area of Philly wouldn't would not have had a black person in it. Mm. Not without making the news. That would have been a thing. So yeah. I remember I was in a greeting card store. Maybe it was Hallmark, something like that, but a greeting card store. And I was walking around looking for a card for whatever. And this lady, I was like, this chick following me? You know what I mean? Like, it was so bizarre. I was like, what's she following me? I was like, they're greedy cards. What are they, dollar fifty each? Wow. What are you going to tackle me for? Like, I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't get it. And, you know, again, you deal with this stuff over and over and over again. And it wears on you. But it's funny. It just never gave me. I never walked away with a perspective that anything was wrong with me or that mm. I was less than. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know I could be perceived that way, but it never made me. So somehow that never, Wait. never got in that way and, yeah. and changed my perspective of myself, which is funny because my mom wasn't, I didn't grow up with parents that were always telling you about, you know, things about your race to, to encourage you. I didn't right. get that either. Mm-hmm. How, mean, talk about resilience. Like that's just something inside of you, because I would think it would be hard not to take on some of that. You know, you've been given this message over and over and over and over and then over and over and over again um, from so many angles, not just being in a store, but being walking down the street, going into the grocery store, living your life, carrying your baby. I mean, it could be, it could be anything. And yet it, it, it's like, it didn't stick like your Teflon. Yeah. That's why I was like, sort of amazed that, that it never did. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I never did with my brother either. My brother mm. has a very different look. He's a lot fairer skinned mm. than I am, like a lot. But yeah, it was just somebody had, I was talking to a therapist one time and we were talking about, we were talking about height. And he asked me, would I, how would I feel if a woman didn't date me because I was black? I was like, I don't know that I would care. I see that as a legit option of theirs. They, they may not want to, date me as a black man for any number of reasons. I mean, their father could be a hot mess, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I show up at the house and he got words for me. You know what I mean? They could be avoiding that. I said, it could be anything. I said, but I don't know. For whatever reason, that I was like, that never resonated with me as a thing that made me less. But somehow mm-hmm. the height thing, I just never, like I had to work through that. Yeah. Not letting that determine my value. But what's funny is as a speaker, and as a coach, obviously, I don't, well, as a coach, is a little different because we're seeing each other this way, maybe occasionally on the phone. But as a speaker, my height is never, never factored into that when I no. speak. I never, I never give thought to being on the stage and being a shorter guy. Like, mm. I'm always the short, well, not always, 99% of the time, I'm the shortest guy on the, on a stage or doing a particular thing. And I know it has nothing to do with who I am, right? Like, even as a Christian, right? I was like, God doesn't put more Holy Spirit in a tall person than he does a short person. <laughs> right. it's like, it doesn't yeah. work like that. You right. Know? But people but constantly to try to remind like you. Yeah. yeah. But people are constantly trying to put you in your place, mm-hmm. the place that they have for you, mm-hmm. not necessarily the place you belong in. And that's the, the challenge is to stay open awake and aware of who you are enough that it'd be very difficult for someone to dislodge you from that place. You know, mm-hmm. I was in Toastmasters. You're familiar with Toastmasters? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to finish up the first level quickly. So I started visiting other locations, went like 45 minutes way up into Trenton, New Jersey, and was speaking up there at a state house. 
And the guy was giving the critique. He was evaluating my speech. And he asked me, he said, is this your first time through competent communicator? I said, yes. He goes, oh, okay. So I'll take it easy on you. I'm like, like no. What kind of start? <laughs> what kind of start to the conversation is this? And you know, he went and he was criticizing. He was criticizing my content, not my speech. Yeah. Not not how I was delivering it, but he didn't agree with what I was saying. I was yeah. like, dude, this is not about. It's not what this is. No. And yeah. I said, you don't need to agree with that. But anyway, but the point is, I was already so comfortable in who I was as a speaker. He could have went. Even though he made that statement, I was like, I was wondering how embarrassing the next five minutes was going to be <laughs> with whatever he was going to say. But whatever it was, it wasn't going to move me because I was already, I was already comfortable in who I was as a speaker. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm good. I don't, I don't think I'm the best that's ever existed or anything like that. Nor am I worried about that. I just need to be Kelly. Yeah, and I be your be who, best. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and that's what that's what I strive to be. So I was yeah. like. Dude, I'm, you can say whatever you want. And you're wasting your time as far if you're trying to get to me, you're wasting your time. And I think this is a really important thing for, especially for, well, it's for every human being, especially for entrepreneurs, because we, we are the weird ones. We do get criticized a lot. A lot of people throw their fears onto us and their perceptions and all of their, you know, their stuff. And we got to, I call it putting on your Teflon raincoat. Like you just got to put that on and be as impervious as possible. Mm -hmm. And you're, you made a really great point in saying, if you're just who you are, just be yourself and be, you know, really confident in what you're doing. And confidence is like anything else. It takes practice. And the best Mm -hmm. way to build confidence and the best way to knock back fear is to go do something big, right? Just go do the thing, do Mm -hmm. something that scares you to the point where you're thinking, Ooh, you know, I might toss my cookies, (laughs) you know, do the thing that terrifies you just enough to, to not want to do it. Go do that. Talk about a confidence builder. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, I, this has been, I feel like there's so many nuggets in here that with that, we're going to go back and need to listen a couple of times to really pull them out. But I, there's been, I feel like you've shared a lot of mindset pieces from, you know, money mindset to confidence, to understanding. You didn't say it this way, but basically that the way people treat you is the way they see themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that seems like it was, it's just in you. That's very admirable. Not all of us, a lot of us have to really, really flex and practice that a lot. In addition to, to what you've already shared, do you have like tips to help people? It's let's say somebody's, you know, on, on the journey as an entrepreneur and trying to figure out the best way to move forward. What would you say is the best way for someone to move their business forward? I think the thing that I find that people are most challenged with which may, well, you've probably seen this too, is that simply getting an understanding of who you're helping and what you're helping them with or what problem you're solving. You know, I was talking to these owners of a restaurant. It was a soul food restaurant, right? And, you know, I asked them who about their competition and they said, oh, we don't have any competition. And it, it paused me for a moment. And I was like, okay, they obviously think that what they do, the problem they solve is a lack of sweet potatoes and mac and cheese in the body. And I was like, that's not the problem. <laughs> you know, that's not the problem you're solving. The problem you're solving is on some levels, it's convenience, right? Like, cause I said, you're in competition, not only with every restaurant around, I said, but you're in competition with their home, right? I said, most people have food in their house. If they, if they can pay a soul food 
bill to buy food. You know, buy they food for three. Home. I mean, it's ten, eleven dollars a platter for crying right. out loud. Yeah. Clearly, you could go home for less. I think that's the thing is if they understand who they're serving and what problem they're serving them with, they should change their language to reflect that, mm. that they understand who they're serving. Because very often that's what I've found. It was one of the biggest, that's the biggest hang up with, with the coaching, getting a person started is clarifying that language. Cause they think, they think they're saying it, mm-hmm. but they don't realize they're using a lot of cliches and mm-hmm. jargon, <laughs> jargon that doesn't necessarily resonate with where the person is, you know? Mm-hmm. So like I ran for that restaurant, I ran a small Facebook ad for them. And I did that on my dime. I paid for that. Mm. I was just trying to do them a solid and I paid for that. And I got them like 400 clicks, like a week and a half. But I knew to just target like right around that restaurant because South Jersey is different than Philly. Like for us to travel five miles in Philly, you're in another area of the city. I mean, Philly's, they call it like a big town, but it's it's spread out pretty far. It'd be mm. 45 minutes to an hour driving from one end to the other, right? But Jersey is different. The towns are much smaller. So you're from township to township to township during that same period of time. So I just isolated where the people were and their basic age ranges. The other thing is to show that they really didn't know. I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong. I could be, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think so. In this particular case is when I asked them who they served, who their audience was, and they said they were equally white and, and black for hmm. a soul food restaurant. Now, Again, been black a long time. I've never seen that. I've never been, I've never been in a soul food restaurant, sit down or take out anywhere near equal, where it was as many white people as black people. I've seen white people in them, never anywhere near close enough to think there was an equal mix. Nor would I even think that would be likely to be a thing because I've never heard people run around. Oh my god, I gotta go get me some soul food. <laughs> Maybe um, once in a while, right? Oh, I heard yeah, about this yeah. great place. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. it's that type of thing, but it's mm-hmm. not not like Chinese food. Like oh, it's Friday, we'll just grab Chinese. Right. Soul food. Even black people don't run around doing soul food like that. So I was like, ah, I just didn't see that being the case. But if you don't know, if you don't really know who your audience is, or you don't understand understand the problem that you're solving for them you're probably shortchanging or you're if you're just getting started you're about to shortchange your clients anyway because you don't really know you don't understand what they're really there for Mm -hmm. you're you're gonna you'll perceive things from from what you think concerns them instead of understanding Mm -hmm. what actually concerns them yeah 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 so that's that's a really good tip you know understand that's something that can be Sometimes it's a particular industry or a particular area, and sometimes it's the type of client, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually just interviewed someone earlier today, and we had a similar conversation where it was like, you know, I work with somebody who was struggling with figuring out their ideal client. And the reason was, is that they didn't want to be focused on just one industry, their business consultant. What they wanted was to work with purpose-driven organizations, which completely shifts the narrative around who you're serving. Mm-hmm. But now you've got the language for that, right? That 
that, you know, he wants to work with, with individuals and organizations that are very purpose-driven, that take a portion of their earnings always, always, and put it into something, you know, very important to them. It's written into their mission and their vision. And that's just, that's, they're very, you know, driven that way. And so he gets to play in all industries, but he works with a very specific type of person mm -hmm. and being really clear that way has helped him, you know, fill his consulting practice and fill the masterminds that he leads and things like that. So I think that that's really huge part of the puzzle is get really clear. And if it's not, you know, if you're, if you're not sure, keep asking what else mm -hmm. and what else and what else I want to go all Socratic on your own self and keep asking <laughs> those questions or hire somebody who can help you, you know, sort through that. Yeah. yeah, and that's the, the thing, the willing to work through the clarification of mm -hmm. what that, what any of that means, you know, yeah. and of course, yeah. don't be with the pricing, don't price out of your own pocket. Yes, that's always something that's I'm like quick one. to tell people don't price from yeah. your pocket. Just because you wouldn't buy this service because you don't need it doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's not valuable to someone else. I've had that conversation multiple times with clients. <laughs> so many times, right? Just because you you're an expert in this. So you it's like you forget how much time you put into learning this and being an expert in this, right? Mm -hmm. And how many other people you paid to get to where you are, either through your education or through training, you know, certifications or whatever. Like just remember that. I love that. Don't what did you say? Don't buy from your own pocket. Yes. Or don't sell from your own pocket. Sorry. Yeah. yeah I love that. Mm -hmm. That's I wrote it down and highlighted it. That's gonna be a nice quote. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this conversation has been wonderful. I think we'll need to check back, you know, in a few months. You and I will stay in touch in between, but to have another interview and see where you're at, because I, I believe that you're up to big stuff. And thank in you. the meantime, yeah. yeah, thank you. In the meantime, where can we where can we find you? How can we support you in growing your business and leading people to you so that they can benefit from working with you? Well, this actually one of the simplest ways to get in touch with me is through LinkedIn because I use that so often. That's the easiest way to uh, catch me on there. Kelly Mariano, usually the only Kelly Mariano in the continental <laughs> US with, with my spelling anyway. Uh, two N's, right? Yes. One R, two N's. So that's the easiest way to reach me. You can email me at kelly at rapidclientattractionsystem.com and I'll get that email as well. But those are the uh, currently the easiest ways to reach out to me Awesome. and correspond. Yep. Awesome. And I'll, I'll put these links and, and your email in the show notes for people who didn't write fast enough. I've got it for you. Just check back to the, to the episode notes and it'll be there. Okay, this has been great. a real pleasure. I'm just thrilled that we were able to make it happen. And I can't wait to see what you create this year. Cause you're, I mean, you and I have had these great conversations before, but I had no idea how expansive your mindset is. And I feel like my own head just kind of exploded in the best way because now I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get out of my way even more now. So I appreciate it. You, I you coached you me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for, I mean, it's really, and I, and I love that you're, that you're working with schools and that you, you know, spend time teaching children in addition to adults. Cause I just, none of us have really been introduced to this way of thinking as children It's something that we go seeking as we've become adults, but imagine mm -hmm. how much different this world will be with children who go out with an unlimited mindset. Mm -hmm. I see it really benefit them if they, the faster they can get there, mm -hmm. a different mindset, yeah. it's just easier. I think once you're locked into wife, kids, and all the stuff that goes with being an adult, it becomes harder mm -hmm. to reset yourself. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yes. And it doesn't mean you can't it just means that if you could come into life 
with our eyes, you know, much wider and with more expectation of greatness, Mm -hmm. we can go and create it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I just think it's wonderful what you're doing and I really appreciate you. Thank Thank you you, so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I definitely enjoyed it. Okay. And we'll talk again soon. All right. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entrepreneur Mindset Reset. If you liked what you heard, be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. Please leave us a review and tell your friends about us so more people can hear the valuable information we share in each episode. We look forward to hearing from you and celebrating your success.